Today's podcast is sponsored by Trellens, a QSO committed to helping credit unions reach higher. Trellens offers a suite of packaged solutions, expertise, and analytics that cultivate proven growth strategies to help credit unions focus on what's most important, their members. Among other services, Trellens offers card portfolio growth solutions to help credit unions increase the penetration, activation, and usage of their card programs, and card payments consulting, providing analysis, benchmarking, and best practices to drive growth. Visit Trellens.com for more information. From the Credit Union National Association, this is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people, credit union ideas. For Jeff Henderson, the assignment of pots and pans duty in the prison kitchen meant an extra opportunity to grab a few bites to eat. It also introduced him to his passion. Henderson grew up in the inner cities of Southern California, made poor choices, got involved in drugs, and spent nearly a decade in federal prison following a conviction for selling drugs. But for Henderson, prison was also an opportunity to turn his life around, and it was where he discovered his passion for food. I'm Jennifer Walt, Senior Editor for CUNA News and Credit Union Magazine. I recently spoke with Henderson, a celebrity chef who has appeared on several Food Network television shows. Henderson will tell his story during a general session at CUNA's America's Credit Union Conference in Boston. Henderson talked about his time in prison, how he learned to cook, and more during a conversation with the CUNA News Podcast. So, Jeff, you you took a you're a celebrity chef today, um, and and a best selling author. But your path to where you are today wasn't quite so straight and traditional traditional and linear. Can you just tell us a little bit about your your backstory of how you got to where you are today? It's interesting when I get asked that question. Uh, I always respond as saying, "I didn't find food; food found me." And food found me in one of the darkest places on earth, which was prison. I never in my life dreamed of or imagined becoming a chef. It was a long road to chefdom for me, you know, growing up in Southeast San Diego and South Central Los Angeles, like many inner city kids, made poor choices. And I made some poor choices in the 1980s and got involved with drugs. And I started selling drugs and made it a career. Um, I was good at what I did. Um, I, I learned and developed salesmanship skills, marketing skills, public relations skills, learned how to manage people, diverse workforce on the street. Um, again, it, like I always say as well, uh, that was a part of my life that I'm not proud of. And, you know, I never use drugs. Um, I, I don't blame, you know, growing up in poverty in a broken, dysfunctional home to the choices that I made. I clearly made the choice to do what I did. And ultimately, I wound up in prison where I spent nearly a decade in federal prison. And, you know, prison became that uh, epiphany for me. You know, I was frustrated. I was uh, very um, um, unmotivated when I went to prison. I was angry. I blamed everyone for my incarceration. But it was through many aha moments and uh, uh, many aha moments of me eventually taking a look at the mirror one day and saying that, you know, my life was worth saving. 
and many men in prison saw an opportunity to fix their wrongs and reach out to help not just myself, but to guide many of these young men who came to prison. And it was in prison when I read my first book in my life from cover to cover. Uh, the first time I was told I was smart was in prison. Uh, I earned my high school diploma when I was in prison. Um, the first time I came in contact in terms of having a relationship, uh, a conversation, um, communicating with people who didn't look like me, who came from different cultures, different religion backgrounds. So prison was it was a, a awakening moment for me. It was like a university. And uh, I had a job on a Cadillac crew once with the white-collar workers who were very elitist inmates who were very wealthy in prison for hedge fund trading stocks, you know, um, fraud and things of that nature, and lost my job. And part of that punishment was pots and pans in the kitchen. And through that extra duty assignment in the kitchen, you know, um, I just started getting good and helping the head inmate cooks and eventually uh, became the head inmate cook and baker at several prisons. And, you know, inmates and guards started praising the food I was putting out in the kitchen, well-seasoned food. And, you know, we didn't have the fancy ingredients, but I made what we ate the best it could be based on the ingredients that, you know, one would have in a prison kitchen. And one day uh, uh, my caseworker, Mr. Hirschman, gave me an article in the USA Today about the top African-American chefs in the country. And I began to read up on these African-American men, Robert Gatsby, Patrick Clark, Marky Samuelson. And I said, wow, you know, here's some chefs doing this culinary thing on a very high level. So they became my mentors who uh, I didn't get to meet until later in life and uh, got released from prison in 1996. And one of the chefs named Robert Gatsby was opening a restaurant in Beverly Hills. And when I got released from prison to Los Angeles, I made my way to his restaurant. And after a month, he eventually hired me as a dishwasher. And he taught me classical French cooking, which eventually turned into California French. And I stayed there for about a year and a half and eventually moved on to work at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Bel Air, L'Hermitage, and Bellagio, Caesars Palace and Marriott Corporation. And as they say, the rest was history. So food really became that vehicle for me to um, establish myself as a legitimate chef and cook in L.A. But it also became very transformative to me because for the first time in my life, I learned how to hustle uh, legally versus illegally. But not only when I was in prison did I learn to cook, as my value systems change. I begin to value education. I, I begin to understand middle-class values. I begin to understand why some people make it and other people don't. Uh, I really begin to understand the difference between the have and the have not. And so I just took those transferable skills I use on the street to become a wealthy drug dealer, again, a part of my life I'm not proud of. And I took those transferable skills of marketing, uh, the ability to sell, the ability to build and manage relationships, the ability to uh, 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 um, work in diverse uh, environments. And uh, it helped me navigate corporate America. Uh, so I eventually became the first African-American executive chef uh, running a restaurant, Cafe Bellagio, uh, during the, the mid-2008 uh, you know, and 2009. At that point, 
people started hearing about this chef, you know, in Vegas that used to be involved with drugs and spent time in prison, learned how to cook in prison, who never been to culinary school and eventually became one of the top chefs at Bellagio and Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas. And then uh, I got a phone call from a culinary agent, book agent in New York, and asked me if I would like to tell my story to the world. And I said, well, you know, this might be the time. And we wrote a book called Cook from the Streets of the Stove, One Man's Journey. And um, after that book came out, I was uh, invited to Oprah Winfrey Show and um, told my story to the world on Oprah. And the story was the show segment was about um, uh, redemption. It was about resilience and redemption. And uh, when I look back at my life, I've always been resilient in terms of achieving whatever that goal was. And that's how I wound up becoming, they call me a celebrity chef, but I think I'm just a pretty good cook, you know. And after Oprah, you know, I got the movie deal with Will Smith and Sony Columbia Pictures where they're going to turn cook into a motion picture film. And the next came uh, my namesake show, docu-reality series on the Food Network, The Chef Chef Project, where I took at-risk kids off the streets and launched the catering company in Beverly Hills, and then the speaking engagements and other TV shows and more book deals and stuff like that began to happen. And it was just like an overnight dream come true. And I've just been humbly blessed uh, with those opportunities. So that's my story in a nutshell. If we can back up just a little bit, I had all these questions where when you're telling your story, I'm like, wait, wait, what What about? Um, so we're going to back up a little bit. But now you, you mentioned that prison, that was that big time where that kind of that moment where you realized you had to change. Was there a specific time that kind of stands out to you that you really go, that was the day that I realized that I couldn't do this anymore? Or was it just really, like you said, that whole 10 year experience that you were there? Yes. Um, you know, there never, there wasn't one aha moment. There were multiple aha moments and signs from um, the pain and suffering, uh, prison time, the isolation, the bitterness. Um, it was the affirmations that other men in prison saw me in terms of telling me that I have potential and that uh, I was gifted in many different ways. Um, it was reading books on African-American history and African culture that really brought me around in terms of loving myself and loving uh, humanity. Uh, that was another defining moment for me. Uh, another defining moment for me is when I started getting praised for my food. Uh, I've never been praised for anything as a child that I can remember um, in school or winning a race or playing on a championship team. So that was another defining moment. But I think what really brought it all together when the light came on um, was when my relationships with the Wall Street guys in prison, um, when they connected the dots on how I became a millionaire drug dealer compared to a millionaire businessman in middle-class America, the trait that it takes that a person must have to become successful. You know, having a goal, understanding their strengths and their strengths and their weaknesses, uh, um, understanding a brand, building a brand, understanding the science of marketing and selling, but most of all, understanding the psychology of people. And when the Wall Street guy told me that those were the traits 
that I was I was showcasing on the street and in prison, he said to me, he says, Jeff, all you got to do is change the product. And the product is me. And that was the, the, when the light bulb came on that should light on my entire life. So now I learned how to hustle legit. I learned that cultural diversity was important in being a successful businessman because especially when you're selling products or you're offering a product, you want to offer it to multi-culture folks. And prison allowed me uh, to have exposure to wealthy, non-wealthy Africans, Jewish people, Muslim people, Native American people, Asian people, and it just really opened my eyes. And I would have to say those were all the aha moments, but the one defining moment was when the Wall Street guy laid out the business principles and traits that I had when I was on the street. I just didn't know what those words meant. And what was it about food? You said you started in the prison kitchen working on pots and pans What, and, and worked your way up. What was it about working with food that made you realize, I could do something with this for the rest of my life, or I really enjoy this? Well, from the pot and pan room, um, the connection came, really, to be honest, the connection was smelling all the food that was being cooked. Because, you know, in prison, they give you three meals a day, and you don't get extra. So food is one of the most important moments of the day was breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And an opportunity to be working in the kitchen among, you know, uh, all of these ingredients and dishes that fed 1,100 prisoners a day plus staff, I had access to extra food. So just the idea that I can eat extra food every day because I work in the kitchen was the hook to keep me there. But then as I began to work with Friendly Womack and Big Roy in the kitchen, these guys taught me how to flavor. They taught me how to steam food. They taught me how to, you know, uh, tell if food is done visually and by the senses of food and by the touch of food are some of the basic skill sets in becoming a great chef. And then uh, my confidence began to rise as they gave me more ownership in cooking dishes uh, for the inmates in prison. And then one of my skill sets that I had on the streets by managing other drug dealers was be able to manage diversity. You know, working in a prison kitchen or any prison is very diverse. You have people from all walks of life, from every criminal pedigree you can imagine. You have folks from Wall Street. You have uh, the Mexican mafia, you know, black guerrilla family. You have gangs. You have Italian mafia. You have Irish mafia. You have Native Americans. So for me to be able to manage these folks in prison very well, and put out a good product, that gave me the confidence that I can go into any kitchen in America and manage that workforce. So those were all the, the life skills that, you know, really came to a fruition uh, in the prison setting. So that was a connection to the food. And then um, I, I took it one step ahead. Uh, we didn't have cookbooks and stuff in there. I started asking my family, um, my Aunt Eleanor, to send me cookbooks in. And my aunt, who's now passed away, um, started sending me baking books and cooking books. So then I started, you know, uh, doing research on the prison ingredients. And these are same ingredients that people use on the outside. So when I got out of prison, I'll be one step ahead of the game, understanding 
you know, flavoring, understanding how food really works, the science behind baking and stuff like that. So they gave me an advantage over the competition uh, going in for entry-level positions in the restaurant business. Did you have a, a favorite dish you liked to prepare when you were working in the prison kitchen? Yes, actually, it was fried chicken. Uh, I still fry this chicken today. I call it a friendly fried chicken. Uh, the most important me uh, mentor I had in prison was Friendly Womack, and uh, he taught me how to fry this chicken. I mean, it, I mean, everybody they had to order extra chicken because every prison guard, from the warden to the all the staff and every inmate, was in line that day for this prison kit for this prison fried chicken. And uh, I, I, I took very, I took a lot of pride in that. You know, cinnamon rolls. I was great at baking. I used to bake cinnamon rolls, donuts, and Boston cream pies, apple crumble pies, and, you know, uh, turnovers, bread puddings and cobblers and things of that nature. So uh, baking was a very big passion of mine besides cooking, you know, meatloaf and, you know, mashed potatoes, various vegetable dishes, you know, chopped suey, braised chicken dishes and, you know, beef dishes and things of that nature. So uh, I, 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 I took advantage of, of that. A situation when other inmates saw punishment, I saw it as an opportunity. I said, this is a skill set that I can go on the outside. And, you know, the timing was perfect for me to rise to that celebrity chefdom because coming out of prison in 1996 was the beginning of celebrity chefs in America as we know it today. The Irma Lagasse's, the Thomas Kellers, the Rachel Ray's, the Bobby Flay's. And it was just perfect that I was coming out and uh, what was unique about me versus many of these other chefs, you know, being self-taught and never been to culinary school, being an African-American chef whose specialty was in California and French, really uh, brought a lot of attention uh, to my journey to chefdom, which really gave me, um, you know, a following, which allowed me the cookbook deals and the television deals. And, you know, I went on to have four TV shows since my first show on uh, Food Network. And you talk about that rise of that celebrity chefdom it, and kind of then along with it, that rise of America's fascination with food. What do you think is behind that? Why are we so engrossed with food? We take pictures of everything we eat. We try new recipes. We post stuff on social media about the new dishes we tried or the dishes that we've yeah. eaten. What, what do you think is behind that? Yeah, I think, you know, America has always had a fascination for great Americana cuisine. But with America being a melting pot of so much diverse cultures of Italian, French, Mediterranean, and uh, Caribbean cuisine and things of that nature, it was the great personalities. And uh, it was uh, uh, the, the entertainment side of great chefs like Wolfgang Puck and HOA, who made food sexy, it made food beautiful, and people started really becoming very excited and fascinated about going to these restaurants that became uh, very marketable, and chefs were good-looking, and they were in great shape, and they wore great fashionable eyewear and chef coats, and they made food accessible. They made cooking fun. They made cooking easy, and people wanted to take the food that they experienced in fine restaurants home. And that was the, the really the launching pad for Food Network. 
And I never sought out to be a celebrity chef. I just wanted to achieve my dream. My goal was to become an executive chef so I could put my creativity on the plate. Uh, Food Network found me. Uh, you know, uh, Will Smith, Sony Pictures found me. Oprah found me. And, you know, uh, I was just running my kitchen at Bellagio, Cafe Bellagio. And um, blessed for all those opportunities. Gave me a platform to teach my style of cooking. Um, it, it gave me an opportunity to take a cooking show and use food as a vehicle to help transform the lives of young people. So I took ex-gang members and kids who were involved with drugs and, you know, prostitution and stuff uh, and put them on my show to use food as a vehicle to teach the life skills, you know, to teach goals and the life lessons and how these kids can tap into their, their greatest uh, uh, gift which was cooking. These kids all love to cook. And it was something about cooking. So just like there's a certain set of ingredients from the yield, the amount of ingredients to create the ultimate dish, well, it takes certain ingredients and skill set to create the best version of self. And that's kind of like how I taught and cooked on this show. So today when I'm not in the kitchen, I travel the country and I work with young people and organizations and I use food as a teaching component to help kids understand that they have the power of potential. And these are the strategies one needs to become the best version of themselves. It kind of it sounds like you enjoy both being in the kitchen and reaching out to kids either through speaking engagements or through your television shows. Do you have a preference of which one you prefer better or enjoy better? I, I love them both. You know, I just left the kitchen prior to getting on this call, and I was smoking some diver scallops mm. with applewood chips, and uh, I roasted some corn and some jalapeno peppers and some andouille sausage. And after I smoked the scallops, I seared them in duck fat. And then I did a saute of garlic, corn, andouille sausage, uh, a little bit of uh, cilantro, and I sauteed that in the duck fat as well, creating this dish that I have coming up in Seattle later this week. And when I'm in the kitchen, it, I, I I start reminiscing my days of running the fast-paced kitchens of Bellagio and Caesars. But I really have to sit back and think about the wrong that I've done, you know, of drugs and the young people I may have influenced from my criminal lifestyle. And I started questioning, you know, my existence years ago. And, you know, a man of faith and um, and a lot of prayers. I believe that, you know, food today was my vessel to give me a platform to give back and pay it forward. So I, I believe that my life is going to be split between food, cooking, and inspiring and motivating. So besides now just working with kids, Companies are calling me all across the country and, and organizations and associations saying, Chef Jeff, we need you to motivate our folks to discover their gift and become better managers and more effective leaders and helping change workplace culture and things of that nature. So I said, wow, you know. So I, I was able to pull out uh, these leadership strategies and managing strategies, you know, out of my life story to share with organizations all across the country. So again, I've been extremely blessed and 
never realized that I would be a corporate speaker or a corporate trainer, and folks would be interested in the ex-drug dealer <laughs> who uh, turned chef, turned television personality and author. So, um, again, you know, I'm extremely blessed and humbled for every opportunity, especially this organization, you know, here at the credit union of folks for bringing me in and uh, giving me an opportunity to inspire. So what kind of advice do you have for someone who comes up to you and says, Chef Jeff, I have this big dream. I have this big goal that I want to accomplish. Where do I start? Well, it always begins starting off with any dream. You have to have a foundation of the dream. And a foundation comes from really understanding who you are and what your greatest gifts are. You know, that's what separates successful people from non-successful people. Successful people operate within their purpose. They stay in their lane. They only focus on what they do extremely well, and they build teams around them of subject matter experts who offer advice and who excel in the areas where you're most weakest. And so I tell young people, I tell adults, anyone who's struggling personally or professionally is really knowing who you are. And once you figure out who you are and what your gift is, your strengths are, then you have a foundation to build on. Then you create goals. And then you have to take goals to action by putting strategy behind each goal to achieve your dream or become the best version of yourself. So that's usually where I start. Timing has a lot to do with it. Uh, putting the right people in your life. You know, who are the people you associate with? Who are your mentors? Who are the subject matter experts that you have access to who can share those jewels of how they made it and some of the pitfalls? You know, it's really important to know where you're weak at. And it's really important to learn from failure. Those are some of life's greatest lessons. I call them the hard knock, the hard knock life lessons. The lessons that you learn from the mistakes that you made in life to make sure you never repeat those again. And lots of prayer. <laughs> so to wrap this up, kind of, I just got a couple of rapid fire type questions for you, because like we talked about earlier, America has a fascination with food and, and chefs and, and people would probably love to pick your brain with some of these ideas. So what's your favorite food? Well, you know, I really like slow cooking. You know, low and slow, low heat, low flame, and cook food through the processes, the process of developing the best flavor out of that dish. One of my favorite beef dishes is maple braised beef short ribs. You know, and I love prime, free-range beef on the bone because the bone marrow is great flavor. And I love, you know, to cook any type of meat or or poultry or fish that's going to be braised or slow cooked is maripal, which is uh, carrots, uh, a celery, and onion, you know, and fresh thyme and bay leaf and nothing like a great cooking wine to reduce uh, the alcohol out and use those great flavors of those grapes to really moisten and tenderize that meat in a, in a process. Um, that's my style of cooking, but uh, I do have a hidden pleasure, uh, which is for sweets. I love sweets. You know, I was a little boy who grew up, and, you know, my sister and I, we never had a cookie jar. My grandparents, um, who are now deceased, were the only ones in our family who had a cookie jar. And my grandmother always kept that cookie jar filled to the rim with these little sugar cookies. So 
baking and sweets is something that I love to have, even though it's a guilty pleasure. Baking and uh, dessert are a big part of what I love to cook as well, too. Are there any foods you don't like that you're just like, I cannot stand this this particular piece of food? Well, I don't particularly care for anchovy. So when I make a Caesar's dressing, I don't put anchovy <laughs> in my Caesar salad dressing. Uh, let's see what else that I don't particularly care for. Escargot, a uh, little fancy stuff, but I pretty much like everything if it's cooked right. I love any and all types of vegetables. Um, I don't eat a lot of pork uh, like I used to. If I do, I love cure border pork, uh, which is a, a, a mix, a, a breed of a Japanese pig and American pig. Um, that produces um, great, great uh, pork product. Um, I love seafood, scallops, you know, shrimp. Uh, I love Luki Mare fish. I love Chilean sea bass, striped bass, any type of flaky white fish. Yeah, so I just love, you know, uh, uh, flaky fish. Um, yeah, I mean, I love lettuces, salad. I love it all. I'm a chef. <laughs> You obviously do not I don't fall. Stop noodles anymore, though. <laughs> <laughs> you don't fall under the picky eater category, apparently. No, not at all. Not at all. Favorite spice to use? My favorite spice I call the king and queen of spices, salt and pepper. Simple. Um, who do you draw inspiration from today? I know you mentioned a couple of folks back when you were... Um, back in prison, but are, are is it the same folks you're drawing inspiration from or new people or? I saw a lot of, most of my inspiration from Thomas Keller because of his philosophy, his style, how he creates, how he plates food. Thomas Keller, uh, uh, he does small plates of food, uh, tasting size. And that's my style of cooking when I do private dinner parties for clients. Um, um, always inspired by Robert Gatsby, the first high-end chef to give me a job coming out of prison. Uh, Friendly Womack, my prison chef, who really taught me the fundamentals of basic cooking, from making spaghetti sauce to, you know, boiling pasta to making bolognese without the wine. Of course, in prison, we didn't have the red wine making a bolognese sauce, but, um, uh, big fan of, uh, let's see here, uh, Alpha Fratelli, one of the great chefs who pioneered stacking food. I'm a big fan on Joe Robichon, Alan Dacar, uh, some other great chefs as well, to Alice Waters. Um, yes. And then do you watch any cooking shows today or, or do you stay away from that? No, I don't really watch. The last show I watched was a show called 28 Grams on Netflix about a chef and his wife who started an underground restaurant in their apartment. And they did 14 course tastings and they did them every Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And it's a great chef. It's a great show about, you know, um, a chef with a dream and, you know, using his house as a restaurant to test his recipes in hopes to land investors to open up his own restaurant. Um, I really don't watch too much cooking shows much anymore. Uh, because, you know, now today it's really entertainment versus really substance in cooking. You know, in order to, to do a 30-minute cooking show, you only get 21 minutes of pure cooking and entertainment. The rest is in commercial. So 
so it doesn't really showcase every step of the way to really cook a dish. You got to take a lot of notes and then go back to the website in hopes that you get the recipe and buy some product, you know. And then in this age of social media, do do you take pictures of all the food that you make or eat and post it online for folks to see? I do. Yes, I do, because uh, I draw inspiration from those photos. And I always like to share with my fans and followers uh, where I'm at, where I'm traveling, where I'm eating, what I'm cooking, what I'm thinking. Uh, people love to know those things. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. This podcast was sponsored by Trellens, a CUSO committed to providing innovative yet simple solutions to help credit unions adapt and thrive. Learn more at trellens.com.